it just so happened that they were looking for a new head chef at Yellow at that time. So he offered me that job and there, there, off we went. And then two months later, we were in lockdown. <laughs> this is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. You never know what the future might hold. The global nature of our society and the opportunities around the globe for those in hospitality can lead you to just about anywhere and into areas you may not have considered. Sandra Noy is the head chef of Yellow in Sydney. Sandra, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, mate. It's good to catch up with you. You're, you're at the helm of you know, one of the most influential vegetarian restaurants in Australia. What's it feel like being in that position? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, first of all, we're, we have transitioned into being completely vegan uh, after the pandemic. So just a little correction. Correction. Yeah, which was which was sort of a sort of a way for us to make it easier for ourselves at first like we, we came back with like a whole tasting menu and we said let's just focus on vegan first and then maybe we can go back to vegetarian later but we have then we were vegan and it was very interesting to just cook vegan so we kept it that way you know you mentioned that it was easier to go vegan and i don't think many people would perceive it that way tell us a bit about about that transition and, and why it's so much easier well, like it wasn't. It wasn't so much that the cooking itself was easier. It was just easier for us to come back. Look, uh, of course, you, you like. I know that you talked a lot about the pandemic. Of course, you know there was a whole a whole time where it was difficult to figure out exactly how much stuff you could put on and what costs were involved or whatever. So we wanted to come back basically with one menu rather than with two menus to make it easier on ourselves in that respect. Tell tell us a bit about. Um, what sort of impact this role has had on you and your approach to cookery? Look, it's it, like it's a it's a very nice role for me because I, I get a lot of a lot of freedom to to do to do what I want to do. You know, like I, I'm not sure if there's a lot of, of of head chefs in Sydney that have as much as much freedom to to, to explore what they want to explore themselves. Um, so in that sense, in that sense, I have I. I can explore where, whatever I want to do. Like I like to do a lot of uh, fermentation, for example. So I, I built a, a very interesting setup to make to make goji and grow, grow goji and those sort of things. Um, I wanted to I wanted to smoke things, so I built a smoker. You know, like those, those, like I'm very free in in how I approach things in that sense. I mean, as a person, I'm not sure if I've changed much. You know, <laughs> like like I'm 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 still I'm still who I am. I don't know. I don't think, I don't think that the, the role itself has changed me much as a person. It's just that I can explore culinarily basically wherever I want to go, as far as it's vegan, of course. You know. Did you have to rethink um, dish construction, having come from a world where you're using um, proteins and meats? Tell us a bit about sort of that transition for you and and your approach. Um, with the vegan well it's it's hard it's hard because when you make when you make when you cook with meat or with fish like no matter if it is a main component or you just use it as a, a seasoning like there's so much flavor coming out of that and it's almost always becomes the the uh, the the center of the dish you know and it is sometimes hard to find the center of a dish when you're just working with vegetables 
or look, it's you're not working just with vegetables. You're, you're you're working with all things of the plant kingdom, right? So you work with legumes and you work with uh, uh, mushrooms and you work with vegetables, you know, like everything. But it's sometimes hard to find focus. It, it is it is hard, you know. And we're still we're still look. I'm cooking for whatever 15 years or whatever. It's it's still. I'm still I'm still sometimes. Um, sometimes still things don't work as easily as if you would, for example, have a piece of mackerel or whatever, and you, you know, like it's very easy to cook with that and make it delicious. Like it, you, do, you can do whatever with it. That is not the same with a sweet, you know. It's more difficult with a sweet to, to, to find flavor in it and make it interesting. Tell us a little bit about the menu at the moment. Is there a dish or two that you can um, tell us about that kind of exemplifies sort of where you've landed with your food? We um, we make a dish that I find interesting. I'm not sure if it's the most interesting <laughs> dish for the people to eat, but I find the most interesting. We we make a dish which is basically so I make different types of misos, right? So we have a a broad bean miso that I made I don't know a year ago, or whatever that is particularly good, and we um, we have we we have uh, we've worked a bit with like nut culturing and cheese production with nuts, or whatever. It almost never really works. But uh, we soak cashews uh, for overnight and then blitz it until it's really smooth. And then we culture it with basically any lacto culture. So we use a turnip ferment at the moment, just some water of that. We culture it overnight at whatever in the koji chamber. So it'd be like 29 degrees. And that sours the, that sours the curd, you know, or the, the paste, basically, the nut paste that you make. And then we mix the, 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 the broad bean miso inside of that paste. So we have two thirds of the, of the nut and one third of the miso. And that becomes like a, like a savory curd. And then we, we, we grow sprouts out of three different seeds. Um, that was just something that I wanted to do because I liked the idea that we produce our own food, you know, that we grow, grow our own food. And we, we dress that with a dressing made with shio koji that we always have on hand. And this oil that we, this oil that we made out of celeriac leaves that we had on a different menu so we got the celeriac in and we just used to make an oil just to not waste it um and some really nice uh, japanese vinegar because it's, it's really nice and that we served that with some sprouts from noah you might know noah he grows these these wonderful sprouts in Barangaroo under the ground it's like this really sustainable farm that we really like to support and then we served it with this pumpernickel bread which is based on a recipe from 13 from 13 bakery I think most people will know 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 him uh, and that bread was basically the genesis of of the dish because we wanted to find something to serve with that bread because that bread is absolutely phenomenal that is another whole story how to make that bread with sprouts and all sort of things but like yeah that bread is just it's just astounding so we basically serve the skirt with this with these sprouts to put on the bread and then eat this as a starter you know and I think that is that is quite an interesting dish to eat and also to make, you know. Tell us a bit about making a balanced menu uh, in the realms of vegan because you guys, it's not just a vegan restaurant. You guys are really pushing the realm of gastronomy uh, against sort of all of the best restaurants in Australia. How, how do you how do you make a balanced menu? Yeah, that is that's a bit hard. It is a bit hard. Like you still you still work with the, look the same principles still apply. You start really light and you go you go heavier, you know. Like those same principles still apply. It is sometimes a little bit hard to figure out, you know, for some people that are used to eat a lot of meat, it's very hard for them to feel satiated if they don't have that hit of meat. 
you know, and that is something that is a little bit difficult. And so you want to give people enough food, but not too much food. And that is, that is something that we sometimes struggle with a little bit. Like we just changed the menu like a couple of weeks ago. And I think for some people it was not quite enough. So I have increased portions or changed some things around a little bit to, to address that, you know. But other than that, it is not much different than, than cooking meat or fish. Like you, you, you want a, a natural progression in both um, the quantity of food that's on the plate and on the, the way that it, uh, the, the, the heaviness of it. So you start with like a little salad or like with, with a lot of greens or a lot of acidity and you, go, you, you slowly transition into something with a lot more umami and fat. And then, of course, you end sweet because you know I like sweet. <laughs> so, yeah, sweet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I want to explore um, how you approach sweets and and what you're doing there, Yellow Bistro, a bit further on. But um, take us back to when you were young. Where, where did you grow up, and what sort of role did food play in your family? Yeah, that's actually quite interesting. I I grew up on a little island in the top north of Holland. It's uh, it's tiny. It's sixty kilometers around. And it's, it is actually quite interesting because when I grew up, food was not a big thing on the island at all. Um, I don't come from a family that was, that was heavily involved in food. We didn't actually ever go out for dinner. We didn't have a lot of money. So, I mean, I'm not complaining about that. Don't get me wrong. But like, we just, that was just not part of our, our, our uh, experience, basically. Like, I spent my whole summer on the beach every, every year. Like, it was a little island with a really long... Like one side of the of the island is one long white beach, you know. Yeah. So so we had a little hut on the beach, and that's where I spent my 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 entire childhood summers. <laughs> we were always on the beach, you know. And then one time a year we would go out on the restaurant that was on the beach, but that was at that point in time, <laughs> not just no, nothing like schnitzels or I don't know steak with some sauce. But the steaks that time came from like vacuum sealed bags that came in frozen, you know, which was still true when I started to cook like uh, on the beach when I was like, whatever, 17 or whatever, or 18. And that was just a summer job, you know, that has changed completely now. Like, the, like one guy, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm going on a tangent, but there's a, there's a guy, there's a guy called Jeff who opened the restaurant when I was, I don't know, um, it's, well, I must have been when I was 14, but, you know, he was the first one to really go and work with produce of the island and basically take what was happening already in the world onto the island. And at some point, he, he achieved a Michelin star. And that changed, like, everything. Like, it, it really changed, the, the, it's, it's, it really changed things on the island. So, like, right now, there are, like, I don't know, 10 really good restaurants that are doing amazing things. Uh, I had to go back to Holland in the pandemic because of, basically because my dad was dying. But I was there for, I was there for three months, uh, two, two months, two months, three months. And I worked with a really good childhood friend of mine who, who took over this beach restaurant, you know, and he changed it into something that was unrecognizable to what, what was there before. Like it was, it was still a restaurant where there's where people are eating from morning all the way into the evening. You know, it's open all day. But another childhood friend of mine started a coffee roastery on the island, and he serves the coffee 
that this guy roasts in on the beach, you know, and that rivals any Sydney coffee shop. Like it's a proper espresso machine. The coffee is roasted freshly. It's like it's absolutely amazing. Then he he is super sustainable. Has one of those uh, composters, you know, that that that, that uh, I think Matt Stone started to use here, and then or Joost Buck or whatever. <clears throat> and so all the all the uh, disposables are compostable and are composted on the beach and then given out to patrons you know like it's it's it was it was astounding all the food was locally produced it was it was yeah, it was unbelievable but that was all not the case when i was growing up so i didn't really grow up with food at all um i was yeah it was only i was sort of pushed still to go more in academic direction than go toward the kitchen you know uh uh, and then I, I, I did a year of university at some stage. Really, really didn't enjoy that. And then I was always quite fascinated with the kitchen. And I thought maybe, maybe that's I had I had worked on the on the beach uh, for about a year. Uh, and this guy from Amsterdam came. In. His name is Rene, and he really showed me how interesting cooking can be. You know, like all the things he did, he started to work on the on the beach as well with like the lamb from the island with, you know, with like he made this dish. I remember this. He made this dish um, for a special event where he just got lamb chops. And I think he he just put them in panko. Maybe he made a little bit of mousseline and put them in panko and fried them. And he made like two different coolie, one green, one black, because that is like the flag of the island, you know. But for me back then, that was like so cool. <laughs> I, thought, I thought it was amazing, you know. I'd never seen, I've never, I'd never seen those things. I also never eaten the food that he made. Like it was so tasty, you know. It was so, it was, it was quite incredible. And then after I did a year of university, I didn't like that. I got in touch with like some, you know, via 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 an aunt. She knew someone that was really embedded in the fine dining scene of Amsterdam. Um, and I managed to secure a job in this, like, little one-star, incredibly strict French restaurant. And that really, that really made me fall in love with that whole industry. Because it wasn't just about the food. It was also, look, it was hard. I worked long hours and the chef was known in Amsterdam as being a very hard, hard chef. But he was also... Um, very interesting person and the restaurant was owned by by two guys that used to be like a couple but they were not a couple anymore they had separated but still owned the restaurant together the restaurant was open for 12 years at that stage and they became sort of mentors for me you know like like they, they were they were incredible people yeah i mean look they they pushed me to to, to my limit in the kitchen but then after service every night, it was old school. You know, every service after after every service, we would sit down, have a drink, talk, and they they were also very well read. So they gave me books to read. They, it was it was an incredible incredible time. Yeah. How did you end up in Australia? So after Amsterdam, I went to I went to live in Prague. Uh, wow. Then in Italy, and then in London. That that whole that whole, <laughs> that process <laughs> took about eight years or whatever. Oh, uh, wow. Tell years. us a bit about that. <laughs> seven years. Uh, yeah. Well, we can go. We can go back there. And then when I was in London, I was I wanted to go to Mexico. That was my plan. Uh, and somebody said, "Before you're thirty, it's very easy to go to Australia." 
So I did. And then, then I went to Australia and I've, I wanted to go to Key. That was my original plan. That for whatever reason didn't work, like uh, at, at that stage. <clears throat> I didn't pursue it very, 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 uh, very strongly as well. I sent them an email and that probably got in a spam box or whatever. And I never really followed up. So, uh, you know, it's not really, you know, <laughs> it's not, not a very strong. Uh, no, uh, but I also applied to Gastropark. Um, and so I started to work for Gastropark, which is another another kitchen that is famous for being uh, for being for being uh, an interesting place to be in. Uh, and and I really found my tribe there, you know. Like I fell in with some people that I really really liked. And then I did my farm work, and my, I loved my farm work. And then you know, and then you start to do the whole visa procedure, and you just get locked into that, you know. So I stayed. And now, and now I'm, you know, now I'm locked in. <laughs> I'm almost a citizen now, so. Well, um, before we explore sort of your time in Australia, you, you briefly mentioned Italy and, and Prague and, and a few other places. Tell, tell us a bit about um, life in the kitchens uh, there. Yeah, so Prague, so Prague, I've, I, I had a girlfriend that time, uh, a Czech girl, and she was just about to embark on her PhD in biochemistry. And we decided to either... I think the choice was Heidelberg or Prague. Um, and it was so that a chef that I knew in um, in Amsterdam knew the head chef of the Four Seasons in Prague. Um, and I went there for a trial and I was I was just amazed by it. I, I had never seen anything like it. Like, like the kitchen in Amsterdam was a tiny little like dungeon, you know, like right next to a kennel. And it was like, it, it was, it was perfect, but it was, it was, and it was it was great to be there. I mean, probably one of the, the nicest places I've ever worked. But in Prague, it was like this grand hotel kitchen with several levels, and there was a, a butchery inside of the hotel, and it was it was it was it was so big. And then, so I moved. I moved. We moved to Prague, and then about three months in, the head chef or the executive chef of the Four Seasons Hotel changed from a guy called uh, Vito Molica to a guy called Andrea Accordi. And he was a bit of a superstar chef from Italy. Uh, quite young, I think he was 37 at the time, 35, 37. And he, like, he was, still is, very, very good. Like, his cooking is very technical. Uh, it, we used, like, the most incredible produce from all over Europe. And it was a joy to be in that kitchen, an absolute joy. Yeah, I learned, I learned so much. Like, like so much there. Um, and then, so I was there for about three years. And then my, my, uh, my girlfriend and I broke up and Andrea arranged the position for me. Like by that time we got, it was actually very interesting. We got the only Michelin star of all post-communistic Europe, like there. Yeah. Which is quite an achievement, I think. And then, um, then we, then I went to to Italy because Andrea knew the executive chef of like somewhere in Italy in Ravello, which is like this little town on the Amalfi coast. Absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> like you can see the whole Amalfi coast from the town. It's like in the hills. Um, it was, it was very, very nice. Yeah. And so I worked there for a season, which was about nine or 10 months. Uh, and then I went to London because the guy, the, the executive chef of, uh, of that place, he knew someone in London who was at Harrods. Now, 
that was a bit of an intermission to be at Harrods because like Harrods is a big department store, you know? Uh, look, it was a lot of fun being there, but I was there for about half a year, I'm going to say, before I needed to do something else again. So then I started to work for Jason Atherton in Poland Street Social uh, in London, which, was, which had just opened, I think, for about two months then. So Jason was in the kitchen all the time. And it was it was intense, like it was an intense restaurant to work in. Yeah, like it was it was busy, like very very busy. Yeah, <clears throat> and the standards were like they 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 could just not drop. It was very exacting. Everything was, yeah, it was <laughs> it was good. Yeah, it was good good restaurant. Yeah, good restaurant to eat in. I think it was a bit hard to work in, but I think to eat in that's it's great. Um. Yeah, and then and then I moved on. I really wanted to do pastry. So I did a couple of trials, ended up to work for a place called Brasserie Zedel, which is a massive, like, I don't know if you've been there in London. It's this massive underground French brasserie. It's absolutely gorgeous. But it was, it was, it was not like a, a, in any way a, a Michelin stars sort of thing. But the pastry kitchen was run by this guy called Jamie who was also a German bass DJ. Uh, we had uh, another guy who was the, then the sous chef. Like, I became pastry sous chef pretty quick, but to, when I walked in, there was another Brazilian guy who was also a cage fighter. Um, and like, it was a little, a little uh, um, English boy who became like, um, who became, after he went there, after he left there, he became a master chocolatier, uh, did the London Olympics. Uh, what's it, uh, what is the uh, the chocolate or the pastry Olympics or whatever uh, as a chocolate chain and now he works now he teaches at the, the um, what's it called the Gordon Bleu pastry at the Gordon Bleu we had a Brazilian girl who was a pharmacist in in uh, Brazil and and wanted to do pastry and uh, somebody who used to be a lawyer so it was a very colorful team it was an incredibly colorful team uh, and I. Like I've never laughed as much as in that kitchen. We made everything there. Like we did sometimes we did a thousand covers a day, but everything was made in house. All the ice creams, all the pastry shells, all the all the cakes, all like everything, all the opera cakes, everything was made there. So it was a lot. But we had seven people in the pastry team, you know. So it was, it was it was doable. Yeah. You mentioned uh, that someone suggested you come to Australia. When, when you got here, were you surprised by the the restaurants and the culinary landscape? No, no, no. Look, of course, I landed in Sydney, and Sydney is, in many respects, uh, just a metropole. You know, so so I think, well, like, if you would go from Sydney to any other like Western metropole, you'd fall into a very similar seen you know that's of course there's differences like london is way bigger you know but also there's also a lot of similarities like there's good restaurants with good people that just want to cook good food you know and 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 care for the guest and i don't think that i think those principles are the same here as they are in london or they are in amsterdam you know you ended up um finding that job at, at key how did how did that come about ah so i did my farm work um, in Tamworth, because you have to for your visa, right? I had an incredible time working on a cattle farm slash horse riding school. I learned how to ride a horse. I cooked over fire every day, you know, like we, we killed lamb on the farm for our own food. Like we shot kangaroo and rabbits for, for to eat. I was, it was, there was no phone reception. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah, I was lucky that with that. Um, and then I went to Broome, uh, 
where I spent, I don't know, three months or whatever, helping somebody opening a cafe. Went all the way back, and I was planning to stay in Melbourne for a bit, but I couldn't quite find what I was looking for, so I went to, came back to Sydney, and then emailed Key again, and this time I got a response. And, uh, and uh, well, it, it was, look, yeah, I, 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 I've, I felt pretty happy there. Like it was, it was a good, it was a good, there, there are good working conditions at Key. Of course, it's an absolutely iconic kitchen to work in. Uh, and I need a sponsorship to stay here and they offered sponsorship pretty quickly. So there we go. <laughs> uh, how different was the kitchen at Key compared to what you'd been used to in Europe? Um, look, it was, it was, I think, I I hadn't really worked in kitchens like that, you know, that are these these big kitchens with now maybe maybe Prague was a bit similar. But but still in Prague we had less chefs to achieve what we needed to do with, you know? Like at Key there's <clears throat> at Key there's a lot of people in, in the kitchen. I think it's di- totally different now, you know? Like like they changed after the pandemic as much as anybody else anybody else, I think. So I'm, I'm only talking about my experience back then, you know, but I think we had the kitchen team of 28 chefs or 26 chefs or something like that. So there's less, there's less, like there's, there's just more people. So there's more time to make everything perfect, you know, like there's less, there's less, yeah, there's, it's just a little bit more, more well-paced, well-paced than in other restaurants. Like when in, in Amsterdam, Amsterdam was a, was a very good example because I was like the lowest. There was four of us, you know, four of us in this like, in this in this this French kitchen with old school French techniques and seven canals of cream on a plate and like all the sort of things, and and <clears throat> and I I was the person who had to do my job and help everyone and I was under constant pressure all the time. It was basically an impossible job, and I think most 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 kitchen jobs in in that sort of environment are you know and that's what, look that's what i fell in love with i think i think it suits my personality really well you know I've, i'm i'm probably on the on the cusp of being being uh or on the cusp where you say like i think if i would get tested there would be a, a reasonable chance that that i would get an adhd diagnosis you know like if i don't i don't really care for it but but for me being in the kitchen like there's this there's this necessary focus that that just allows me to be in the zone you know like i am not made for a school for a, for for like a, what do you say uh for um like university environment or whatever because my mind starts to drift like instantly when i'm sitting down in a classroom you know and the kitchen allows me to just focus and so for me that's really good yeah, but anyway, I've drift from your question. The, the 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 difference was just that there was just a little bit more time to really make sure that everything is perfect in key. And it was a nice it was a nice kitchen environment. Like key is a really nice kitchen environment. Like the chefs the, the like Peter Gilmore is a a really generous um and calm person. So there's no there's no shouting or bullying or whatever going on. And like right now they of course have Tim and Troy's the two head chefs who are just as far as I'm concerned, amazing people, you know? So 
I want to just go back to the time that you spent um, on the land in Australia and and um, cooking over fire. Do you, have, do you have any stories of of that sort of the impact that it had on you that time? Yeah, it changed me quite a bit actually. Like when I was at the farm, I was there for three and a half months, uh, and it worked like this: that we had like this this horse riding school, which is like the farmer taught natural horsemanship. So there was, and, and there was, it was also called the Jackaroo Jellaroo School. So you learned some fencing and whatever, but the main focus was horn, horse riding, you know, and cattle mustering with, with horses. Um, and so that, that week, there was like a menu, uh, which they, they had been doing this forever, right? So there was four, basically four travelers, four backpackers, or four like visa searchers, like I am, uh, on the farm. Uh, who were there to take care of, I don't know, the cleaning of the of the big shed that everybody slept in, or the the the, the, the maintenance of the horses and the cooking and just just some just things that had to be done. Uh, and I of course took care of the cooking as soon as I walked in, you know. So as soon as I started, I set up a sourdough starter so I could make fresh bread. Uh, and then we ob- obviously we had lamb of the farm. Uh, there was a big vegetable garden that the farmer's wife took care of, which was absolutely great. Like there was lots of vegetables that that I could just pick from there. And then we shot kangaroo for meat and some rabbits. And they killed a cow like every half year, or whatever, just to freeze meat for that. Uh, so you have beef as well. Uh, so I could cook with all those things. And every week there was the school. There was like a menu. So we, we would eat. I don't know. The first night we would eat like a stew, and the second night. So I changed all those recipes. And that was all cooked over fire. So I cooked everything like over fire. And then the, the week that we did not have a school on, there were still the four of us, you know. So I would cook for the four of us uh, every day, like on the, in, the, in the off week. And it just changed my focus from restaurant cooking to family cooking, which is very different. You know, like it's, 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 it's just about, I don't know, it's about feeding a family like it was it was really nice to just sit down every day with the four of us at the table and and eat the food that i cooked it was a very different the very different experience that was very much mimicked sorry to interrupt very much mimicked by the first lockdown for me like the first lockdown for me was similar like i was in a house with like four of us and i was home every day cooking for the four of us and we played games or card games and uh, amazing how did the job at Yellow come about? So, I, I it's eventually, of course, you go you go through all the sponsorship, and you get a visa, like I got, you get a permanent residence, and then you start to, you know, like I worked at Key for four years, so it was time to move on, you know. And then Mark, who you also know, a good friend of mine, he said, "You want to talk to Brent, Brent Savage?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." And then I talked to Brent, and we hit it off pretty pretty well immediately I think and and as it just so happened that they were looking for a new head chef at yellow at that time so he offered me that job and there, there, off we went and then two months later we were in lockdown <laughs> yeah 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 actually funny like what happened was I came on board and look I have not I did not have a day of sick in like 13 years at that stage you know like forever um and this guy walks in the kitchen like a chef who with mumps disease. 
that everybody thinks is eradicated, but he had mumps disease. And he infected me with mumps disease. So literally two weeks in, I had to be off for 10 days because I had mumps disease, which is incredibly contagious. And then I came back into the kitchen. And then I think five days later, we were locked down. Like, it, was, it was crazy. Crazy. What was it like for you transitioning into that head chef role? Was it, was it challenging at first? Yeah. Yeah, I'm still not sure if I'm completely, uh, if I'm completely, if, if, if I've completely grasped it, you know? Like, it's hard to, when you, it's, it's hard to, to, to accept that you did enough work when you were not just under pressure the entire day, you know? Like, like, like that's, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that's it's just how I feel about it. So like I, when I, when I, like at the moment with some, some holidays and, you know, like we're getting a new person in the team, like we're just about to have a full team again, but we just had like a little bit, we were a little bit short for a couple of weeks and I had to be in the kitchen, like just cooking every day from morning till evening, cooking all day and getting stuff done. And it's a very, it's just what I am used to see as work. So it feels very, like it feels like I've accomplished something in the end of the day. But actually, actually that's not right because I've not actually accomplished the things that I need to accomplish. Like as a head chef, I have different roles than just smashing out mise en place, you know? So, and that is, that is a little bit difficult for me personally to just accept. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and look, I've, I get very good support from, from the people at, uh, at, at Bentley, the Bentley, Bentley company, you know, and they are, they are very clear in telling me that, that I have to change my ways a little bit, uh, in the, in that sense, you know, because it's like, like, I just need to accept that my role is also other things, which I, which I look, I'm not, I'm not I'm, I don't think I'm performing badly. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying like, that is my difficulty. Like that's what I find difficult. <laughs> Uh, Nick Hildebrand and Brent Savage have made an incredible impact on Australia's culinary landscape. What are they like to work with for you? Uh, great. Yeah, absolutely great. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I think, like, like, I hit it off with Brent pretty much straight away. Like, that first conversation was good. And, like, that has not, that has not, that has not changed, you know? And, and, and Brent really much take care of the kitchen and Nick really much take care of the front of house. It is so that I have quite a lot of, like we have a very good front of house team as well, Yellow, that like there's a bit of a good synergy between the front and the back. And uh, the barman, the current barman, he's really working a lot on non-alcoholic pairings. And I've sort of got involved with that as well. You know, like we try to do certain fermentations. We now try to, you know, we make kombucha, maybe water kefirs. We try and push that to a place where the non-alcoholic drinks have as much of a flavor intensity as you might get in wine you know so that's very interesting so in that sense i have quite a lot uh you know we work we work together very closely front and back at yellow but nick like nick is uh, my my main my main dealings are with brent and i have a very good relationship with brent yeah i think yeah you weren't expecting to stay in Australia, but you're building an incredible life here and making an amazing impact at Yellow. What do you love about what you do? Look, look, you work in you work in food, and you know you know you like food a lot, right? And everything that is around it. Like, I think 
there's just infinite infinite possibility to develop you know like that like every time every time you start something new or you do you read an, uh, on, a, on a different cuisine or you learn about anything like bread is a good example you know you start to learn about bread you know you might think that you know how to make bread but you start to learn about to learn about bread and you just realize that you know absolutely nothing you know like like the, the the modernist guys the modernist cuisine guys they wrote a five volume book on bread and they, they, they still have questions you know so that's what i like most about 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 cooking yeah and then of course what's really nice like the kitchens are incredible kitchens and restaurants are incredibly incredible environments with so many different people from so many different walks of life as i as i as i shared the story about the, the pastry kitchen in london you know like where do all these people come from how do they all end up together in one team you know and how, how does you know it's it's incredible like it's i think there's not many places where you will find the same you know like if you go into a, a marketing office a marketing management office all these people will have followed of course this is a generalization and not not always true but all these people will have followed generally a pretty similar path you know they go to they go through high school then they go through university and they go through few, few through a couple of media jobs marketing jobs and then they end up wherever they end up and then they grow into the corporate ladder but that's not really how it works in hospitality you know people are from all ages they find that this is what they want to do now and then they come into the kitchen and there's 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 so many different characters it's amazing well it's amazing to catch up with you sander and an absolute honor to have you on deep in the weeds today um good luck with everything at yellow and please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon okay thank you thank you Huck. this is the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.